Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 510, chapter 76, Tinder. The sun was starting to set by the time we found a good place to camp on the second night. Dayton went foraging for firewood. Martin began cutting up carrots and potatoes and set Hespi to fill the cookpot with water. I used Martin's small spade to take a pit for our fire. Without being asked, Tempe picked up a branch and used his sword to shave thin strips of dry wood to use for tinder. Unsheathed, his sword still didn't seem terribly impressive, but given how easily it was peeling away paper-thin strips of wood, it must have been sharp as a shaving razor. I finished lining the pit with stones. Wordlessly, Tempe handed me a handful of tinder. I nodded. Would you like to use my knife? I asked, hoping to draw him into a bit of conversation. I'd barely shared a dozen words with him in the last two days. Tempe's pale gray eyes looked at the knife on my belt, then back at his sword. He shook his head, fidgeting nervously. Isn't it bad for the edge? I asked. The mercenary shrugged, avoiding my eye. I began to lay the fire, and that was when I made my first mistake. There was a chill in the air, and we were all of us tired, so rather than spend half an hour slowly nursing a spark into a decent campfire, I arranged twigs around Tempe's tinder, then stacked progressively bigger sticks around it, making a tightly packed cluster of wood. Dayton returned with another armload of firewood just as I was finishing. Lovely, he groused, quiet enough that he could pretend he was just talking to himself, but loud enough so everyone could hear. And you're in charge. Wonderful. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick, and I have a potential printing difference. Jeremy, in the second paragraph from the bottom, mm-hmm. in my book, the first words are, as I've said, there was a chill in the air. That is not what appears in my book. Oh. Well, I have a possible explanation for that. As mine is the earliest printing, it could be that uh, someone noticed that he hasn't yet said that there was a chill in the air. So those words are superfluous. Indeed. <laughs> Not only are they superfluous, they are incorrect. So that's that's a good cut. They're so, so very perfluous. In an earlier draft, he may well have already established that there was a chill in the air, but he cut that line out, but then forgot to adjust that sentence accordingly uh, until... Yeah, Rothfuss, get your shit together. Honestly. <laughs> honestly. Yeah, I have to admit, I was thinking the whole first after this page like you're you're shaving wood with your sword don't do that are you nuts because if there's one thing you want a sword to be it's as sharp as possible at all times and you don't want to use it for mundane crap like like cutting firewood or whatever like that is just going to dull the edge and like misusing a sword in a way that is not intended to use it can actually like damage the blade like badly enough that you might have to like get it repaired so that seems like a very bad idea and a trained warrior wouldn't be doing that without a good reason. So I am curious as to what Tempe's reasoning is. Well, this is a bit of foreshadowing and world building. Uh, we eventually learn the Adam cultural attitude towards swords and it's that they are tools. They're consummate tools. Uh, they're not just for killing they're for anything you might need an edge for, but of course, you know, you have to maintain it very, very carefully, which is why, Tempe, and like you have to know how to use it properly in all of those things. So, which is why Tempe has no problem using it to to shave uh, tinder. Well, it makes me wonder if the Adem swords are used in the same way that a lot of cultures, specifically like 
cultures that deal with a lot of jungle, like in, in South America or in the Philippines, use machetes. Which, like, you absolutely can and do use machetes to fight and kill people, but it's a tool that you use every day to, like, hack through bush and, and stuff like that. But the ADEM don't appear to originate in a cultural context uh, where that would be appropriate because they live in a desert. Uh, there's not a ton on this page except for the interaction with Tempe. Uh, and we need a few of these so that we sort of set the baseline for Tempe's behavior. Yeah, it's sort of the beginning of what we're going to be able to assess later. It's hard to assess it now. Yeah, I think we can intuit, especially based on what comes a bit later in this chapter, that Quoth is super interested in the Adam and really wants to learn some stuff about them. So he's really, really trying to like get friendly with Tempe so he can kind of figure out what his deal is. But he's totally unprepared for someone so apparently aloof. Mm-hmm. And like as we can now look back on it ironically, Tempe is trying to talk to him, right? When Quoth thinks he's fidgeting nervously, he's actually speaking to him just not with words, but Quoth doesn't understand that. And Tempe, I guess, doesn't know how to explain it to him. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Like Tempe's not aloof. He wants to like make friends with Quoth, but he, they, they have a communication barrier. Yeah. He doesn't speak the language. Maybe it's also interesting that narrator Quoth tells us that his, his fidgeting is nervous. He uses the adjective nervously to describe Tempe's fidgeting. Mm-hmm. which is uh, actually incorrect. This is another example of an unreliable narrator, not because the narrator is lying to us, because the narrator has no better understanding of why somebody might fidget. Well, and it's even a little bit more complex than that, right? Because the present day Quoth who's narrating the story does understand that Tempe isn't fidgeting here. He's trying to talk to him, but he is putting us in the mindset of the Quoth that he was when this happened to him and what he thought was happening, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. Jordana, what what do you got on this page? I I honestly also don't have a lot on this page. Like mostly if I, like we kind of covered all the stuff with Tempe already and the thoughts I had, I also feel like aren't ready yet. Mm, They're still percolating? Indeed. Well, because we're going to get more into Tempe later and I want to talk about that more later. So Mm -hmm. I feel like, like it's the beginning of the chapter. We are getting information, but I don't have a lot for this page in particular, really. I'm sorry. I, I have one other note to, to bring up, which is just that Rothis on this page has set the scene and is now establishing the conflict in the scene, uh, which is that, and he's foreshadowing, right? He says, I began to lay the fire and that was when I made my first mistake. Uh, and what goes on to happen is that he's made the fire wrong or he's made the fire in a way that Dayton doesn't like and they get into a little hissy fit about it because Dayton is trying to kind of assert his dominance, his social dominance over Quoth in this scenario. Uh, and Quoth has made an unforced error by building the fire. Well, it's it's actually more sophisticated than that, Jeremy. Uh, it's that Quoth's mistake is not building the fire wrong. It's deciding to set the fire with sympathy rather than building it and coaxing it with mundane means. Quoth knows perfectly well how to build a traveling fire, but he's already decided that he's going to set this fire with sympathy. So he's just like assembling wood in a way that once you bring the heat into it with sympathy, it's going to burn nicely. But he doesn't say to his traveling companions, hey, by the way, I'm an arcanist and I can set this fire. So like we don't actually need all this tinder, Tempe, and we don't actually need like kindling, Dayton. And also, you know, it's not a big deal to do sympathy. I'm not a, a frightening wizard, but he doesn't 
tell them to this. And it all kind of tumbles down because Dayton assumes he's an idiot setting a fire incorrectly. Uh, and that conflict is about to play out. So Quoth's mistake has happened already. It actually does happen on this page. It's the fact that he decides to set up the, a sympathy fire rather than a mundane fire. Mm. Well, the the error is not that he decides upon a sympathy fire versus a mundane fire. It's that he didn't communicate first. Well, ah, a recurring issue perhaps with this character. Indeed. You say? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, a recurring issue, I feel like, with people in general, so it does humanize Quoth in a way, which is nice. Indeed. That's one of the arguments I think you can make against the idea of him being a Mary Sue, because he has many relatable human foibles, and that's one of them. He thinks of it as a mistake, and to some degree it is, but if he had said to them, by the way, I am a wizard who meddles with dark powers, and I'm going to set a fire with my magic... Uh, that might not endear him to them either. Like they, as we see later on in the scene, they are very alarmed when they see him do that. And I don't think any amount of him explaining, actually it's sympathy, it's perfectly rational, here's how it works, would help. I think that at least if you try to communicate, you can set the tone a little bit more than Quoth is able to do in the way it actually shakes out. But I think that you're right, Nick, that his real mistake is just like not making a mundane fire. Yeah. Uh, One thing that I have carried into my actual life, and I credit the podcast with this to a degree, is I'm very aware of the importance of communication. And like, it's not just the podcast that did this. I, you know, I've spent a long time grappling with an emotional mental illness. And, uh, you know, I've seen a therapist um, and I've undertaken cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. But a big part of that and a big part of I can refer it back to the podcast and the book because we it's a bit of a refrain now on the show that a lot of Quoth's problems could be solved by open and honest communication. And this is true of real life. And I have made it a, a great strength of mine. A great strength of mine is my ability to communicate and to make myself understood, especially in high stress situations. It's It's more than just the fact that the podcast has done this, but certainly approaching this book and being able to talk through the instances where clear and strategic communication could have waylaid disaster uh, has been very helpful in my, in my actual life. Mm. Well, there you go. Fiction. It's not just for fancifying anymore. It can have applications in our real say A lot of fiction isn't fictitious. <laughs> That's right. You can be fixin with fiction. And that is, incidentally, the thing we're changing the name of this podcast to. Uh, effective uh, immediately on tomorrow's page. Fixin' uh, with fiction. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>